Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the budget debate begins as opposition parties propose amendments to the massive spending plan, and the Prime Minister begins the selling job. The budget centerpiece is the proposal for national daycare. The Minister of Families, Children and Social Development will join me to discuss how to make it a reality and we'll get reaction from Alberta's Minister of Children's Services. And the Prime Minister joins the queue for the AstraZeneca vaccine as provinces begin offering it to younger age groups. We'll begin tonight with the debate on the budget and the efforts by opposition parties to rewrite it with their own priorities. Conservatives have proposed an amendment that slams the massive budget spending and calls instead for the budget to focus on accelerating vaccination in the pandemic and a focus on policies to create jobs and stimulate economic growth. And the Bloc Québécois sub-amendment calling for the budget to be rewritten to include a $28 billion increase in health transfers to the provinces and increased old-age security benefits for all seniors. Now, those opposition changes are likely to be rejected by the minority Liberal government, but even if the Conservatives and Bloc vote against the budget, there will not be a snap election because the NDP has said it won't bring the government down during the pandemic. And the opposition suggested the pandemic is where the Prime Minister should be focused. The third wave of COVID-19 is ravaging Canada. We are in this situation because the federal government didn't secure enough supply of vaccines fast enough to prevent it. Today, the government of Manitoba had to secure help from North Dakota to vaccinate essential workers. How many Canadians will have to be vaccinated in the United States because of this Prime Minister's failure to secure vaccines? Right Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, it's important in this House to believe be grounded in facts. Our plan is working and we're getting more vaccines than anticipated. We've now delivered over 13.3 million doses to provinces and territories with more than 10 million doses of vaccine already having been administered. Thanks to the tireless work of officials to accelerate vaccine deliveries, we are now in the top three of G7 and G20 countries. At a news conference earlier in the day, the Prime Minister and his finance minister began selling the budget with an emphasis on the proposal for that $30 billion national child care plan aimed at $10 a day daycare in every province by 2026. The plan will require 50% of the funding to come from the provinces and territories. I have had some conversations already with provinces and territories about early learning and child care. Uh, and so has my colleague Ahmed Hussein, who is playing a central role in this work. Uh, I think before naming names, it's fair to give the provinces and territories a chance to see what we've laid out in black and white in our budget, the numbers we've put on the table. And then we really look forward to rolling up our sleeves and starting to negotiate bilateral deals. So now the job begins of convincing provinces to sign on to a national daycare plan and foot 50% of the cost. Some are eager, some not so eager. Spearheading the federal effort to bring them on side is Ahmed Hassan, the Minister of Families, Children and Social Development for the federal government. Minister Hassan, good to see you again. Thanks for being with me. 
Thank you so much for having me. The finance minister said that uh, the proposal for any national daycare plan is, has already been the subject of some conversations with the provinces. What discussions, yes. and she talked specifically that you've been involved in those discussions, what discussions have you, have you had? What's taken place? Well, we've, we've, we've spoken, uh, I've been personally speaking to my counterparts uh, uh, from the very beginning prior to, uh, to, to the pandemic and then especially during the COVID-19 pandemic in the last uh, number of months uh, to make sure that we have a common understanding on what's important for us. Uh, and that is, uh, that is, we all agree that we need a more affordable system, that we need to deliver deep affordability for parents with children. We all agree that we need to increase the number of spaces available. We all agree that we need to develop uh, and deploy and deliver high quality early learning and childcare. Mm. So there's broad agreement that we've had. And since the, the budget, just yesterday, right after the budget, I spoke to all my counterparts except two. I spoke to all my provincial okay. counterparts. I spoke to one territorial minister. And again, as I said, there is, there's degrees of difference. Uh, there's degrees sure. in terms of the enthusiasm, but the general uh, consensus they all agreed on is the need for more affordability, the need for more investment. And they all welcome okay, where, where, federal where, investments. Where there is uh, uh, some disagreement or some reluctance, do you see any of those uh, possible obstacles as insurmountable? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, and I'm encouraged by a number of things. I'm encouraged by the enthusiasm of so many provinces and territories who, who, who are not even waiting uh, for, for the budget, who have already moved uh, to some extent to put together province-wide uh, affordable, uh, high-quality early learning and childcare. Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador is a good example. They've, they now have a $25 a day province-wide system. Yukon, the Yukon Territory put together $11 a day daycare, uh, childcare fees this month. So there's already movement. Uh, British Columbia was already testing out uh, right. through a pilot program, $10 a day. So there is that. But the second uh, uh, reason I, I am very confident is the significant long-term stable federal funding that we're bringing to the table. Okay, let me let me pick up on that. I'll, I'll be speaking with the Minister for Children's Services in Alberta in a few moments. I'm not sure if she's one of the uh, people you were able yes, to reach. Yes, I spoke okay. to her. I spoke right. to Minister Well, then, then you know that she wants assurances that, that your daycare plan will be flexible. So how flexible are you prepared to be on the kind of daycare model you demand from the provinces in return for the federal money? Well, as I said, uh, you know, by the way, uh, this is not uh, uh, us collaborating and working together in partnership to deliver uh, affordability and quality uh, in early learning and childcare. It's not new in the sense that since 2017, we've had bilateral agreements with provinces and territories, including the province of Alberta. And we've had, we've had broad agreement on a number of, uh, on, a, on a number of things, including on affordability and accessibility. Right, right. But for instance, Alberta says it's not interested in a one size fits all daycare plan. And the polling in that province shows that most Alberta families want any childcare funding to go straight to them and not put into a subsidized big national plan. So is that going to be an option? Are you going to let provinces decide to take federal money or the federal portion of the money and uh, send it directly to families, for instance? Uh, we, I'm, I'm not uh, in favor of that. Our government is, is not in favor of uh, giving direct payments to, to families in terms of, uh, of, of, of child care. I think uh, what has been proven time and again is that the best impact on outcomes uh, for children is when 
uh, early learning and childcare opportunities are delivered through uh, through public affordable spaces. Uh, obviously, I'm in favor of supporting uh, parents with children through the Canada Child Benefit and other programs that we have. Mm. But when it comes to early learning and childcare, it is best delivered through uh, early childhood educators that are highly trained, where we're putting $420 million just this year to support provinces and territories to recruit more early childhood educators. That doesn't sound like a plan to me that's going to fly with Alberta. So are you you prepared to push ahead with a plan that doesn't have Alberta in it? No, the the point is the the whole reason why we uh, say that we have to do this in partnership and collaboration uh, with provinces and territories is that we will be sitting down and talking about these issues. There is uh, different circumstances when it comes to early learning and childcare in different parts of Canada. The conditions for early learning and childcare providers in rural Canada and northern Canada in urban communities is very different. The childcare fees in Markham, Ontario are different from the childcare fees in North Bay, Ontario. So even in one province, there's so much diversity. And so we have to sit down with, with, our, with our counterparts and make sure that we work together to deliver afford, deeply affordable and high-quality childcare. Yeah, but and, what, but what I'm trying to get at, ministers, are, are you yeah. open to like provinces are going to come to you and say, you know, we, we're like in Alberta, for instance, 60% of the daycare in Alberta is delivered by private for-profit businesses. So, is, uh, do you want to see the end of that? We, we we know that in the delivery of early learning and childcare, uh, the private sector does does deliver some. Uh, of the early learning and childcare uh, programming, even as it exists now. Uh, what we're interested in is the spaces and making sure that uh, the the spaces that we create in the federal funding goes to early learning and childcare that fulfills the four principles that provinces have already signed on to right. as part of the 2017 agreements, mm-hmm. which is affordability, uh, high quality, accessibility and uh, and uh, and inclusivity and does that mean they can't be, does, be does that mean they can't be for profit no that's not what i said I, no no I i'm said asking does that, that mean because i think the, the budget stated primarily not for profit space that's right so primarily it will go to non-profit of course there is uh, the reality on the ground is that there is an element of for profit in 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 this sector that also delivers good quality early learning and childcare. So we'll continue to rely on that sector as well. But the vast majority has to continue to be public and we will not only preserve the existing public spaces, but we we have the ambition to increase those public spaces as we uh, reduce reduce the fees and uh, recruit more early childhood educators. So we got to do all of that. But again, in partnership with provinces and territories, and we've proven that despite our our slight different uh, emphasis on different aspects of this, we've proven that we can work together. So from 2017 till now and onwards, we already have, we already have bilateral agreements that get renewed uh, every once in a while. I just want to say that this sounds like a, like a a pretty ambitious timetable as it's laid out in the budget. The minister's talking about legislation this fall, uh, some kind of a consultation process ahead of time. Fill us in on that. I mean, your role presumably is going to be at the front of this over the next number of months. Um, what is that timetable? How quickly can you get to a place where the government's introducing legislation in the fall to make this happen uh, as, as early as next year, I guess? 
We intend to, uh, to of course, move forward very quickly uh, on, first of all, renewing the existing bilateral agreements. Those agreements expired in March. We have to renew them. I don't see any challenges in terms of renewing those agreements that are flowing federal dollars towards provinces and territories. That's why I said we already have a foundation, a very strong foundation of partnership. Uh, that emphasizes affordability and 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 delivery of okay. high quality early learning and childcare. We will take that strong foundation and build on it when we're working on the Canada-wide system. Right. But we're very ambitious, yes, yeah. absolutely, because parents and and children are waiting on us to do that to deliver a system that guarantees deep affordability and high quality across the okay. country. Excellent. Uh, and you. so there's a lot of impatience out there, and we have to deliver. Thank you, Minister. Uh, we've run out of time, but uh, thanks for taking time today, and we'll continue to follow the story. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, let's go to Alberta now and get a reaction to the federal government's child care proposal. Uh, Rebecca Schultz is Alberta's Minister of Children's Services. She joins me now. Minister, good to see you. Thanks for uh, taking time to speak with me today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Look, how eager is your government to sign on to the federal government's proposal for a national daycare plan? Yeah, you know, we've always said that child care is absolutely an import of our economic recovery, both for Alberta and for Canada. Uh, that said, you know, we have to make sure that we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach right across the country because uh, parents and operators in different areas of the country have different needs. Uh, so that's something that we'll be looking forward to uh, as negotiations progress. But again, we don't have a lot of details just quite yet at this point. All right. Minister Huston says he spoke with you last night after the budget. Uh, what specifically did you tell him? So what Alberta has always been looking for is flexibility. This is an area of provincial jurisdiction, and we do appreciate we've worked very closely with the federal government over the last number of years. But Alberta does have a unique system. Over 60%, the majority of our operators are actually private operators. And so we need to make sure that we can meet the demands of our, our mixed market, our operators that are both not-for-profits and private operators, but also respect parent choice as only one in seven Alberta parents are currently using licensed childcare. We've been told that that flexibility uh, is something that they are willing to look at. But again, we're just waiting for more details on how much flexibility that will mean. Yeah, that's a big difference in Alberta. Does, does that concern you? In the, my conversation with the minister, hey, he's he acknowledges that what the budget actually says is that the funding would be used primarily for not for not for profit uh, health care or sorry child care spaces. So how big of an obstacle do you think that is given uh, what's been built in Alberta? You know, I think that remains to be seen. I did raise that issue with the minister. Again, when we have over 60% of our operators, many of them being female entrepreneurs, we're not looking at telling them that government knows best or government can do better. Uh, in many cases, they are early childhood educators themselves. They are experts in these fields, uh, and they've built really... Um, really good businesses over the last number of years, but supporting high quality, uh, accessible childcare all across Alberta. And so, you know, we're continuing uh, to invest in these areas. Uh, currently right now, Alberta does have the highest subsidies in childcare outside of Quebec. We have some of the highest uh, wage supports for early childhood educators. We are absolutely uh, interested in seeing more details uh, and having these negotiations with the federal government. But again, it has to be in a way um, that respects the mix market that Alberta currently has. I mean, is, is there a middle ground on that on that spectrum where uh, provinces say, look, it's a provincial jurisdiction, just send us the money, we'll take care of the rest uh, for child care. Uh, and what the government is saying is, no, we want 
uh, we want, uh, you know, not primarily not for profit. We want it to be done in a uh, public, affordable setting. Is there is there room to close that gap, or would, you know, if you had your druthers, would you just say, "Look, send us the money. We have a childcare plan. Just send it, send the money to us, and we'll take care of childcare." I mean, this is an area of provincial jurisdiction, and so we do hope that there is flexibility. We know that recent studies have suggested that Alberta parents would prefer, I think, over 60%, and this is an Angus Reid poll that suggested over 60% of Alberta parents would prefer to see dollars go directly to parents than into a quote-unquote system. Um, but again, we have to look at the choices that Alberta parents are making. Right now, the spaces that we currently have are at about um, half full as we come you know, as we're coming through this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we respect that parents are making a variety of choices when it comes to childcare, whether that be licensed centers, day homes, uh, preschools are a great option for part-time working parents or parents who are working from home. And so we wanna make sure that we're not only looking at parent choice, but that we do have the flexibility to meet the demands of, of private operators as well as not-for-profit. Again, you know, I, I did hear the prime minister saying that, um, you know, provinces like Quebec and Ontario will have flexibility like they have in the past, I certainly hope that Alberta will be able to see that flexibility as well, uh, because we do know that childcare uh, is very important for working parents. I know this myself. My kids are five and three, and I can tell you that you know I know the importance of childcare firsthand, and we will continue to invest in this really important area. And I, I, I do certainly look forward to flexibility in these negotiations. Uh, on that point, on the on, I guess I wonder how flexible. Minister Hudson told me that look, he's not in favor of sending direct payments to families for childcare. That the best outcomes are in a public affordable space with trained early childhood educators. Uh, do you see eye to eye with him on that? You know, I think um, what we've seen here in Alberta, again, you know, we have a market that is primarily private operators and we do see parents making a variety of choices. We'll continue to look at data. We'll continue to listen to parents. And, you know, it is making sure that we have high quality uh, childcare, that it's accessible in every corner of the province, that, you know, we also have licensed day homes, which are a great option. We've been creating spaces in day homes as well, because in some rural communities that best meets the needs of families. Uh, and we know that affordability is really important for parents who need it. We also know that that's typically um, the third consideration that parents uh, would make when choosing childcare. And so I think, you know, as I've said, affordable, high quality, accessible childcare is hugely important. We just hope that there is flexibility so that we can meet the demands of our parents and our operators. Just very quickly here, uh, it's a 50-50 split. The government expects you to put up the, the, the same amount of money the federal government puts up, or, although there may be some some room to negotiate there in terms of the split. Are you ready to invest what's necessary to get to a daily rate of $10 over the next five years? Because that's what the, the budget and the plan calls for from the federal government. Well, I guess it's tough to say when we really haven't seen the details of, of what this is exactly going to look like. I mean, here in Alberta, there was a three-year pilot for $25 a day childcare, and we know that that would have costed well over a billion dollars uh, when we looked at um, what that would cost to expand that uh, right across the province. And so, I mean, it's really hard to make a commitment uh, without knowing the details of, of what uh, the federal investment is going to be specifically for our province. Minister Rebecca Schultz, thanks for your time this evening. Uh, great to talk to you. Take care. Thank you so much. Well, the Prime Minister says he is now trying to book his shot of COVID-19 vaccine. Now that the AstraZeneca vaccine is being offered to people over the age of 40, the leader of the official opposition gets his shot this weekend, and Justin Trudeau says he's getting in the queue. My uh, intention has been, as I've said many times, to get vaccinated as quickly as my turn comes up. 
uh, with the news that AstraZeneca is now available for uh, 40 and up uh, in Ontario. Uh, my office and I have uh, busy, uh, are busy trying to uh, book appointments and uh, we will uh, be sure to invite uh, uh, everyone along to, uh, to uh, help encourage others uh, to get vaccinated as, as quickly as possible. I have an appointment set for this weekend uh, in consultation with, uh, with our physicians. I think it's important for Canadians to, to get a vaccine when they can. Do your part. The Prime Minister's endorsement of the AstraZeneca vaccine comes as the National Advisory Committee on Immunization was set to change its guidance on the use of that COVID-19 vaccine to people 40 years and over uh, in COVID hotspots. But the committee abruptly cancelled a planned news conference this afternoon to reevaluate its data. That happened just as the province of New Brunswick announced Canada's third case of blood clotting in a person who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. When we look at the, the fact that it happens between day, could happen between day five and day 21 of after somebody has received AstraZeneca, again, one in 100,000 or one in 250,000 doses, um, when people are aware and, uh, and clinicians are uh, aware uh, of the issues and the diagnosis um, and the capability of diagnosing and treating, um, again, what we're hearing now is, yes, it can happen. Uh, and it's recognizable and identifiable, and there's a treatment, and, um, and that's a good thing. Well, a number of provinces, including Ontario, Alberta, British Columbia, Manitoba, they've jumped the gun on any formal recommendation from NACI and have started offering the AstraZeneca vaccine to people aged 40 and over because doses of AstraZeneca are sitting unused at many pharmacies because of vaccine hesitancy. Let's follow up on the latest developments in the pandemic with Dr. Zane Chagla. He's an infectious disease physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton and an associate professor at McMaster University. Uh, Dr. Chagla, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me. It's good to see you. Uh, no let me start. Look, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization called off a news conference today uh, at the last minute, just moments before it was supposed to begin, where we were expecting NACI to announce a change in guidance for the usage of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then we have a reported case, another one, the third one in Canada now, of blood clots linked to AstraZeneca, or at least in a patient uh, who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, that's in New Brunswick today. Um, and I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that about the last minute cancellation, because now as he said, it, wants, it basically wants to review its data uh, results before uh, changing its guidance. What do you think is happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of two things. One is, you know, how much if this was an internal case, just based on the numbers that have been administered in Canada as compared to the internal cases. I think this is potentially the third, and what the percentage is and how it relates to the global population. Uh, the other is that another country or other countries are starting to accumulate more data in, in this context and a better estimate in terms of exactly what the risk is, uh, is being kind of conveyed. Um, but, you know, again, this is just caution and care as, as you make a large recommendation. I think NASI's charged to be an arm's length organization that makes pragmatic and practical re representation for the um, for the use of vaccines. And so uh, you would rather this be careful and not change a few times and, and again, have a consistent message. Are provinces right to begin uh, using AstraZeneca to vaccinate people over 40 in those high COVID areas? Is this the right move now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you take the argument that it, it's very different, the risk-benefit discussion in different places. Um, if we were in PEI right now where things aren't particularly high from a COVID standpoint and you have a one in 100,000 risk of a, a serious blood clot, 
then you may make the argument that, hey, the average 18-year-old or 30-year-old or 40-year-old seeing COVID-19 is going to be low. The average of them having complications is going to be low. And so that, that you know, percentage still favors a little bit more risk than benefit. In Ontario, the situation is completely different, right? You know, the average 40-year-old has a decent shot of being exposed to COVID-19 in the world we're living in, particularly in dense areas. Uh, and add to that, you know, that that means a risk of complications and hospitalization. You know, right now, a 40-year-old faces a, you know, 18 to 20 times higher benefit of getting this vaccine preventing ICU and death as compared to the risk of complications. Uh, so, you know, th- those arguments are dynamic based on the epidemiology in the provinces. Um, but I think it's uh, it's fairly reasonable to consider w- what we're doing right now to to represent the vaccines appropriately and get them used by the populations to slow down the pandemic, which right. benefits everyone in Ontario, BC, Quebec and Alberta. Let me let me stay in Ontario for a moment. We're, we're seeing some fast moving developments in the province of Ontario now in terms of a- attacking COVID-19, not just the administration of vaccines, pharmacies now in hot spots, some of them are saying staying open 24-7 to administer vaccines. We now have the Ontario government uh, talking about uh, moving to provide after, uh, well into the pandemic now sick leave uh, for workers. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, it's, it's well needed, right? I mean, you know, from a public health standpoint, you always want to target the roots of transmission. And it's been very clear that this is a large route of transmission. Regardless of lockdowns and restrictions, this population, particularly of workers that have to be at work, are constantly exposed to the pandemic. And and good data suggesting in the the second wave, there were the highest number of cases in Toronto, the highest number of deaths in Toronto or related to those communities. And they were the highest population to get the variants and concerns in the Toronto and Peel area. you know, supporting that population is going to support all of us, you know, making sure that people make an appropriate choice to get stay home, get tested, get vaccinated uh, and not face financial repercussions based on that is is good advice for all of us. Um, and I think it's it's a actually cost effective intervention, noting the cost of hospitalization ICU stays in this population, uh, as well as protecting the rest of us who have the opportunity to work from home. Uh, and uh, and really just making sure that we care for the people that are not able to do that. Yeah, and I wonder how much of this now is, like, like as I say, things are moving quickly in Ontario. You, have, you touched on Peel Region, uh, now saying that it's it's going to be closing down uh, any businesses where they've had uh, five or more cases of COVID in the last two weeks. So those things seem to be falling into law. If, if they start closing down businesses and telling employees to stay home, those employees are going to need some sort of support. And, and I'm wondering if almost... The, the, the provincial government's being prodded into more action here by the uh, actions being taken by local public health officers. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly contributes, right? And I think uh, Dr. Davila, Dr. Lowe recognized what workplaces have done in their regions and, and really put that Section 22 legislation in to, to help control workplace outbreaks, which have led to community outbreaks and community cases. Um, so, you know, I think this is the province recognizing it. The data is adding up that this is really what's represented in our ICU stay. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's the uh, the major uh, issue here for sure. Big. Let's finish on this. Uh, uh, in the same vein, I guess, uh, significant pushback coming from uh, health experts and the health table in Ontario, uh, speaking out now about their frustration about some of the advice not being followed. What? What? Uh, where are where are we now in this? Uh, in what looks to be a fracture to me between uh, the health experts and the politicians. 
Yeah, I mean, the science table is really making good recommendations based on evidence. You know, the, the, the provincial government has a large task and, it, you know, it, it, no one ever wants to. It's a tough position to be in because you have to balance all these stakeholders. Um, you know, the evidence is there where it's transmitting. The evidence is there that it's not transmitting in outdoor settings, which is a little bit of the kerfuffle on the weekend. Um, you know, it just needs to be respected. And I think, you know, the science table's job is just to be transparent in their science and where they think is going to make the intervention based on the evidence. Um, it's the government's job to implement it. But I think there is there's something to be said about the experts making those recommendations, especially in the third wave and having it followed uh, right. as part of our, our provincial strategy. All right, Dr. Zane Shagla, uh, thanks for your perspective tonight. Appreciate it. No worries. And that's all the time we have for Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching.